Bible, I want to encourage you right now to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, and um, while you're looking for 2 Corinthians, if you'd remain standing, we're going to read this uh, together. We are finishing our series today called This We Believe. Has this helped you? Has this been good? It's, yeah, I, I have loved this series. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it because like, I'm so immersed in it like every day, like you are, as if you are a follower of Jesus. And, and I, man, it is just like put cement shoes on me and put it into the foundation where I'm like, I ain't moving. I've been so, I've loved every week in this series, um, and thanks Pastor Daniel for his leadership in this series as well. Give him some love. Thank him for his leadership in this series. So here's what I know um, about this series is there's no way we're going to answer every question in just a short amount of time that I have to share. In fact, what I'm going to share today, it's probably going to raise questions. Uh, what about that? Well, what about that? Well, what about that? And we don't want to leave your questions unanswered. And so if you have a question, you can email it to us at info at corechurch.com. You can put that in your phone. It's right there, info at corechurch.com. Whatever your question is, we don't shy away from them. We want to help you. We want to walk with you through that and really try to help you. Today, we're going to be talking about the return of Jesus Christ, Christ's return. And uh, this is our the statement that we have as a church, and if you're new to our gathering and new to church. This is not something exclusive to core church. This is something we believe foundationally as followers of Jesus. So if you go into any Bible-believing, Jesus-foundational-teaching church, they're going to believe this exact same thing. So I want us to say this together. We believe Jesus Christ will return to judge both the living and the dead. So if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I read out of the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible, download version. great app. In fact, when you're on that app, look under events. The scripture's already there for you. You can take notes, and there's other things about events and things that are happening at the church. Uh, if you're new to scripture, this was written by the Apostle Paul, and he came along and came to Christ after Jesus ascended to heaven. And he started churches all around the world. And one of the churches he started was in this place called Corinth. And that's where we get the name Corinthians. So he's writing this, and this is really important. This is critical to, to hearing this. This is where we get a little bit off base sometimes when we're talking to people who don't know Jesus or people who know Jesus. You have to understand, if you're not a follower of Jesus, he's not writing to you, so to speak. If you are a follower of Jesus... He is writing specifically to you as a follower of Jesus. And this is what he says. For we, talking about followers of Jesus, know that when the earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal uh, body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. One translation actually says we won't be naked. Aren't you glad I chose this translation? How weird would that be? Naked in heaven. Never thought about that before. Don't want to think about it. Don't want to picture it. Heaven is not a nudist colony, just so you know, all right? While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather... 
We want to put on new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not home with the Lord, for we live by believing, not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Come on, somebody say amen. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Talking about the coming of Christ, his second coming. For we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Father, in the moments we have to open up your scriptures, would you speak loudly to us? Would you be honored in what is said today and help us to grow in our understanding in Jesus' name? And the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, in 1968, a group of futurists came together and they were wanting to predict what the future would be. And they, so they came together and they talked about what they thought the future would like, be like in 50 years. 1968, what will the future be like in 50 years? Now, hang on and just take a deep breath, especially if you've been around a little while on this planet, because they put a book out, and this was the title of the book. Toward the year, anybody, what does it say? 2018. Is it crazy to think about that 1968 was 51 years ago. So these futurists, they came together and they made all these crazy predictions. Some of them they got right, some of them they got wrong. One of the futurists said that they were going to weaponize hurricanes, that, that nations were going to take hurricanes and use them as weapons to hurl at, at their, their enemies to destroy them. One futurist said that there would be anti-gravity belts, that you could put this belt on and you could just, you know, kind of float around. Did not happen. But a couple of them actually did happen. One futurist said that we would have 3D TV. Anybody remember that? That came and went pretty fast, didn't it? Yeah, anybody, anybody have one of those somewhere? Come on, be honest, this church you do? You laid down 12 grand for that bad boy, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, hey, the glasses are only $1,500. What a buy. Uh, but it just kind of came and went. Another futurist, though, said that one day, in 50 years, people would hold these things called pocket computers. And these pocket computers would be able to text back and forth to one another. And not only would they be able to text back and forth to one another, but they would also be able to send pictures to one another. How crazy is that prediction? That's exactly what happened. So, that begs the question, what are futurists saying about the next 50 years? Well, there's a lot of different futurists out there, and here's some of their bold predictions. One prediction was that um, we would have these contact lenses we will put in our eyeballs, and we will have these hologram keyboards. No longer will you use your keyboard or mouse, but it'll be a hologram. And you will type like this. How weird would that be to be at work doing this? That would just look strange, but that's what they say you're going to be doing in the future. They say that um, things like Skype and, and FaceTime are going to go away, that there'll be an actual hologram meeting, somebody sitting in seats. And like, like, I think that's cool because I could be preaching right now on the beach somewhere. 
I wouldn't even have to be here. In fact, I might not really be here. So another future says that um, your refrigerator will automatically restock itself. That's a cool idea. Milk goes low, eggs running out, need some more lunch meat. It will automatically detect that you need it, order it, and deliver it to your door. That would be awesome. Another futurist says that, uh, that we will have dinosaur zoos, not museums, but zoos like Jurassic Park, they say, could really happen in the next 50 years. Now, one that they're saying is more than likely going to happen, it could happen even in the next five years, is they're saying in Dubai, they are planning to build a rotating skyscraper. Every floor, floor will rotate 360 degrees. Whatever view you want, you can have. You can drive your car into the skyscraper, go up to your floor, your apartment, park your car in your apartment, whatever floor you want to be on. There, and by the way, if you want this, it's just a nice little price tag of 4 to $40 million. Depending on the floor you want to be on, up to $40 million. And if you have that kind of cash laying around, I want to see you after service because we need 13000 of it, okay? <laughs> really, the truth is none of us really know what the future holds. It's kind of our best guess. So as followers of Jesus, how, how can we be certain, how can we be confident that Christ is going to return. I mean, can we really truly believe that? Well, one thing that scripture clearly teaches us, it says that the, the way that you know that a prophet is trustworthy is if what they predict comes true. That's what the scripture teaches us. So if you want to know if they're a false prophet, just wait. If it doesn't happen, false prophet. If it's, if it's true and they're a trustworthy prophet, it will happen. And what we know and what we've learned through this series is that in the Old Testament, they had all these prophecies about a coming Messiah, and, and all of those prophecies, every single one of those prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And then what we also know is that Jesus went around giving prophecies, predicting the future, and he was right on every single one of them, including the biggest one of all. He predicted his death and his resurrection. Therefore... We know that Jesus can be trusted. And it was Jesus himself who said, I will come again. And we can trust those words because of who he is and what he has already done. I think that's why the Apostle Paul, right in the middle of 2 Corinthians, says this in verse 8, yes, we are fully confident. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them, Jesus can be trusted. Jesus can be trusted. Now, theologians have and scholars have long debated the Christ's return and the second coming, and I've been in church my whole life, and, and maybe you have as well, and that what is this thousand-year reign, and what's the mark of the beast, and 666, and, and, you know, and thanks to Kirk Cameron and Left Behind, none of us have slept well since the 90s. You know, we're scared to death. <laughs> of this thing called the tribulation and and is it post-trib or pre-trib or or no trib or what what when, when is it what is it how is it going to happen and, and and there's a lot of uh, debate about that a lot you know who's the who's the antichrist oh donald trump he's the antichrist we know it relax people i'm not getting all political in here some of you are like he is not the antichrist some of you are all like looking at me you're like mm -hmm, that's right preach it brother <laughs> can i tell you though just a few years ago 
everybody was saying, not everybody, but a lot of people were like, oh, that Barack Obama, he's the Antichrist. And then before that, it was George Bush and it was Bill Clinton. And then I've just been around long enough. Every president and the next president is going to be the Antichrist. You just need to get ready for it. There's a lot of Antichrists out there, okay? Just like to put that title on them. But how, how can we know? How can we be certain since, uh, and, and what can we be certain about when it comes to heaven and hell and, and judgment and, and the afterlife? Well, let's, let's look at it, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, start in verse 1. Paul says this, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, say this with me, what? We will have a house in heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So here's the first thing I'd like for you to write down. And in your chair back is a place if you want something to write notes on. I want you to write this down. I, I can be confident my home is in heaven. I can be confident my home is in heaven. Paul says it this way. We have an earthly tent, but we have a heavenly home. Like our family years ago, we used to love to go tent camping, um, but we weren't hardcore tent campers. Um, we did what is now known as glamping. You know, we would go, we would rent an RV site. We were those people. We'd be the only ones on an RV site with a tent, but we wanted electricity because we wanted to take our TV. We took an air conditioning unit, you know, like the one you put in the window of your house. We took that, put that in our tent. It's Oklahoma people. It passed, it was okay, but it was glamping. You know, that's what they call it now, is glamping. You know, at its best, we are glamping in this life. I mean, what we have in this life pales in comparison to what heaven will be like. Your best day on this earth pales in comparison to heaven. Your best vacation that you went on is the pales in comparison. Your best day at work pales in comparison. The best date you've ever been on. I know some of you ladies right now, I ain't been on a date in a long time. I'm making a note of that. The best date that you've been on pales in comparison. The best house, all of us are chasing the next house, the big house, the beautiful house, this house, that car, this thing, it pales in comparison to heaven. The problem is it's hard to imagine heaven. It's like nobody's wintered there. You know what I'm talking about? We've had people who've gone for like 23 seconds, come back, but we have nobody that has ever like just gone and wintered there for a few months, come back and went, it's crazy incredible. Now, we've not had that, so we are left to try to figure that out, and it's so, so it's hard for us to imagine how amazing heaven is. And the closest that we can, I think, come to it is the Apostle John. John, Jesus gave him, John was one, if you're new to church, John was one of the apostles of Jesus, and, and, and Jesus gave him a vision of heaven. It's the last book of your Bible called Revelation. And in there, he, he, he talks about these streets of gold and that heaven is pearly gates and a crystal sea and he talks about this throne and, and it's got jewels all over it and there's lightning and there's smoke. It, it, looks, it looks like the set of TBN. It looks just like it, okay? That's heaven. And so that John here, though, what is he doing? Is it literally streets of gold and pearly gates? I heard that my whole life growing up and to be honest with you, when I was a kid, I was like, I don't want to go there. That sounds boring. There's a choir, I'm, I'm bored. I really think that what... John was doing, he was using figurative language because he was getting this vision. Now, I don't know how to describe this. I don't, I don't know how to ex explain this. A few months ago, Laura and I, we went to Los Angeles to a pastor's gathering, 
And anytime you go on vacation, you go out of town, you, you know, you have to get a hotel or an Airbnb. And, and so I, I went online to get an Airbnb and, and it's your best stab in the dark, is it not? Like, cause you're looking at the images and the reviews and, and you know, they get just the right angle. You ever gotten in that place? They get just the right angle, the sunlight shining just right on the bed and you walk in and you go, this ain't even close. So we found two places, and one of them was 89 bucks in Los Angeles. And I thought, and I'm looking at these pictures, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. This thing is awesome. It looks amazing. It can't be this great. And I was like, let's take a chance. Let's do it. So we go to Los Angeles. We start to pull down the street. And as I'm pulling down the street, I'm like, that's a pretty nice little street. And this is all right. We pull up. I'm telling you, this place was insanely amazing. I mean, you walked up this cobblestone to the backyard, opened up to this beautiful garden with this outdoor fireplace made from beautiful red brick and, and, and a patio with these chairs, and you walked inside a four-poster bed, go into the bathroom, and they had that bathtub, like the one that's not attached to the walls, one that has the, the really cool legs on it, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what they call those, but they look really cool. It was insanely amazing, and if I showed you a picture of it and I put it up here on the screen, it's still, I, it's even as I'm talking about it, you, you can't picture it, can you? Like when I was there, I was telling one of the pastors where I was staying, and he was a local. He said, you, where are you staying? He said, do you know every street on that street? That's the million-dollar homes. I'm like, what? And so I went on Zillow, every home on this street, the house we were staying in. I've never, I was staying in a million-dollar home. I've never stayed in a million-dollar home. But even as I talk about it, I can see the looks on your faces. You're like, yeah, I don't get it. That's heaven. It's so hard for us to imagine and so hard for us to understand. And I think this is why Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, he says this in, verse, in chapter 13. You can look this up later. He says, here we see things imperfectly, but, but there in heaven we will have perfect clarity. In other words, we, we may not have clarity, but we can have certainty that heaven is my home. So then Paul says this in verse 2. We, we grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on heavenly bodies like new clothing. I, I, I can relate so well to this verse because I'm getting ready to turn 53 years old in just a couple of weeks, and my body is doing things that I don't understand. It's popping out in weird places. Nothing's in the same place anymore. I'm trying to tuck things in, and they're just going wherever they want to go. And then I, I Recently, they've come out with this. Have you seen this face app thing? How many of you have seen the face app where you can make yourself old? How many of you? Okay, some of you have not. If, listen, if you're 50 plus, don't go there. I did. You download this app and you, you take your picture and then it shows you as an old person. So for me, it showed me as an ancient person. This is me in the ancient future. <laughs> That's your pastor. If you hang around here long enough, that's what's coming, people. That's disturbing. Take that off the screen. Thank you. We don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, this life is really hard. And this life is full of struggle. It's, it's full of heartache. It's full of brokenness. It's full of disease and death. And a few months ago, Laura and I were in Ethiopia. We were in the capital city, driving along the streets, homeless children everywhere, 800,000 
homeless children on the streets. But this morning, we don't have to go around the world for heartache, do we? It's in our backyard in El Paso and, and in Dayton. But to be honest with you, even we don't even have to go that far because brokenness and heartache and struggle is right here within the walls of our own building here at Core Church. I see the prayer requests that come in every week. Let me share with you just what people are struggling with right now. These are just a few of the requests that have come in. My father is in critical condition after being in a terrible motorcycle accident. He's in ICU. They're going to do an operation. He may not make it. Somebody else, will you pray for the arthritis in my hands? And I saw cancer. Another one, cancer. Another one, cancer. Cancer. Another one, pray for my family. We desperately need it. Somebody else is my brother's at rock bottom. Another person, I'm, I'm struggling with anger. We don't have to go far for the, the struggles and the heartaches in this world. What I want you to know, too, though, is that if you have prayer, you're not alone. We want to pray with you. Whatever it is you're dealing with, let us pray with you. At the end of the service, we're going to do that. But I'd like for you to write this down because I, I think this will encourage you about heaven. I can be confident. Not only that my home is in heaven, but I can be confident that my healing is in heaven. I can be confident that my healing is in heaven. We believe that God heals in this life, but we also believe that there is a full and complete healing that will come one day. And here's what Paul says about it in verse 3. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies, okay? We're not just going to be floating around heaven one day, just spirits, don't recognize each other, and just kind of like little, you know, uh, chubby little babies with harps on clouds. It's, that's not the picture of heaven. Actually, we're going to be exchanging our broken bodies for fully, completely healed bodies. If you believe that, say Amen. John, when he was talking about that picture of heaven in that same letter, he describes it this way. He says, in heaven, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more El Pasos, no more Daytons, no more fathers in ICU, no more cancer, no more anger, no more broken families, no more disease. He says this, all these things gone forever, forever. Paul goes on to talk about as followers of Jesus, we long for that day, we long for heaven. We want to be home with Jesus, and, and we know that day is coming. He says this in verse 10, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will all stand before God to be judged one day. We believe that Christ will return to judge both the living and the dead like for you to write this down. Not only can I be confident that my home is in heaven and my healing is in heaven, but I can be confident my hope is in heaven. I can be confident that my hope is in heaven. Here's what I believe about judgment. I believe that judgment is ultimately about hope. It's about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If you're here for week three, I talked about salvation, and, and it was at the cross that God did not pour out his wrath on Jesus or mankind. No, instead, we have this picture of Jesus on the cross, and what he's actually doing in that moment, he's holding back 
the wrath of God and instead pouring out his grace and his mercy. We all know, we all know John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever Like you want to talk about judgment being full of hope? Whoever, come one, come all, whoever believes will have eternal life. Verse 10, in the second part of verse 10, Paul says this, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or or the evil that we've done in this earthly body. Now, when you hear that, immediately I'm sure you're thinking, wait, 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 time out, time out. I, I, I thought we weren't saved by works. That's what I remember from week three. I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by faith, not by works. Yes, that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. We are saved by grace and we are saved by faith. We are not saved by works. What Paul is saying here is if you do evil in this world, you will be held accountable for that. If you don't repent and turn to God for the evil that you have done, all of us, not just the Daytons and the El Pasos and the Ethiopias, but all of us, if we don't repent and turn to God for the evil that we have done, we will be held accountable for that. But there's some good news with this. Because what he's also saying is you're going to be rewarded for the good that you do. If you do good in this world, Jesus says this. Jesus says, hey, store up treasures in heaven. There's rewards for those of us who do good in this world. In fact, in Luke 14, he talks about this banquet table. And he says, invite the crippled and the lame and the broken and the outcast. And you will be rewarded in heaven. So there are rewards that God brings for us. So we don't do good to earn God's grace. We do good because of God's grace. I don't do it to earn it. I do it because of it. And then Paul says this, we have a responsibility. You and I as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to do good and to share this hope with others. Look at verse 11. Because we understand our fearful what? Our fearful what? Our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Turn to the person next to you and say, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. And here it is, we work hard to persuade others. And we, we, share, we share this because we believe that there, there's a heaven, but, but we also believe there's a hell. I don't know what you've heard about hell, but I've been raised in the church. And I'm scared as hell about hell. I mean, when I was growing up, it was eternal damnation and fire and punishment and torture and and physical torment that you will never, ever get free from. Scared me to death. Can I tell you, that doesn't sound anything like a loving God. I, I really think that it's like, John, it's this figurative language that, that how do you describe hell? How do you describe it? Because what hell is, is eternal separation from God. It's being eternally separated from God. And I, I know that the question always comes up, how could a loving God, how could a loving God send people to hell? And I, I would just say this to you, God doesn't send people to hell. We choose hell. 
We choose hell. He doesn't send us to hell. He's a loving father, not a dictator. Make you do this, and I'll make you do that. No, he's a loving father. He leaves the choice up to you and up to me. He says, if you want to live apart from me in this life, I don't want you to, but you can because I'm a loving father. But if you choose to live apart from me, you're going to experience a hell on this earth. And those of you who follow Jesus, you know your life before Christ was a hell on earth. And God says, listen, if you're not going to worship me here, I'm not going to force you to worship me there. If you want to be apart from me here and you want to be apart from me there, I will allow you to do that. He takes no pleasure in that, but he's a loving father. I think one of the best pictures of heaven and hell is the story of the prodigal son. If you've been in church, you probably have heard that story. But if you're new to church, there's this parable, this story that, that Jesus tells. And he says there's a son, a young son, and he comes to his father and he said, I'm out tired of being under your authority, tired of you telling me what to do, I'm going to go make my way in this world, I want my inheritance, I'm leaving. And the father is a loving father. He's not a dictator, he's a loving father. He doesn't say, you will stay, and you will work, and you will not leave. No, no. He's a loving father. So I want you to stay, but... Okay. He gives his son his inheritance, and the and the story says, and uh, it's in the Gospels, you can read it in the Gospels, and Luke has a great uh, version of the story, and it says that the boy goes out, and, and he kind of, he just lives crazy, okay? He just does crazy. He's got all his money, completely blows his inheritance on wild living, craziest things you could ever imagine. He's got all the crazy friends, all the party friends, whoop, whoop, party bus, he's having a great time, then his money runs out, and his friends run out. And he's left with nothing. And he, he can't figure out what to do. And he has hit rock bottom. And he finds himself slopping pigs. Now, for you and I, it's not. We might, okay. But in the Jewish community, that represented being unclean. It meant rock bottom. And, and here he is in a pig pen. He's in hell. He's separated from his father. And that's how it went for him when he was separated from his father, all the way to this pig pen. And the scripture says that when he was in this pig pen, he came to himself. He said, I want to go back home. So he gets up and he starts to head back home. And what's interesting is the story doesn't say that the father said, no, nope, you made your choice, you ain't coming back. You left, you're not, you're not coming back here. No, 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 it doesn't say that at all. It actually says the father ran out to greet the son, wrapped his arm around his son. He hasn't been cleaned up yet. He's got the filth of the pig slop on him still. He's got his sin, his condemnation, his junk, his shame, just his unworthiness, and the father embraces him. That is your loving father. That is who Jesus is. That is a great picture of our God. That he wraps you up in your rags, in your sin. He doesn't wait for you to clean up. He actually comes and embraces you if you will turn to him and say, man, I repent. I don't, I'm, I'm sorry for the way that I have lived. I am not worthy to be called yours, but if you'll have me back, I want, I want to be in your presence. I want to follow you. And the Father brings him in, and it says they have this huge celebration. That's heaven. This is what our God wants. 
This is what our God desires. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, have a responsibility to tell people. You and I have a responsibility to intercede, invest, and inform. I want you to write those three words down. Intercede, invest, and inform. We have a responsibility to pray. Pray for people that don't know Jesus. Do you have people that you're praying for that don't know Jesus? Are you praying every day? You should be praying every day. Heaven and hell are on the line. Every day you should be praying. Say, I don't know anybody that doesn't know Jesus. Pray that God will put you in front of people that don't know Jesus. That's the scariest prayer you can ever pray, by the way, because he will. He will. Invest. Do good. And just, just, just do good. I, I like when Paul says here that work hard to persuade others. I think the best way to persuade others isn't to go, it says this. This is what the Bible says. And this is what it says. And this is what you're supposed to do. You're doing that. You need to do this. You're going to hell. You want to go to heaven? Start doing this. It's the worst thing you can do. It's not true to treat people that way. You're the one in sin, and you're the one who needs to repent if that's what you're doing. Do good. Persuade. How do you just do good? The best way to persuade people is to be nice, just for the sake of being nice, just for being a good person. Like look for opportunity. If you start looking for opportunities to do good, they will come up like crazy, and you'll have them. And the last thing is to inform. Like open up your mouth and actually share about Jesus. Like there are people are when you start to do good, they're gonna come to you and they're why you why do you do that? Why you why do you always act like that? Like I, I play basketball and I play a lot and it gets pretty intense and guys start cussing, start pushing, start yelling, and and I, I just always try to remain calm and peaceful and joyful, and it's not always easy. And 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 to be honest with you, can I just share this real quick? This may make no sense to you, but a lot of times they don't want to pick this guy because he's not any good, and they won't play with him because he's not any good. I always pick that guy. Because I'm like, I, I've been that guy. I've been the guy that never got picked. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. And I've had that guy say, why, why, are you, why are you always so, why do you not care who you play with? And it gives me an opportunity to share the hope that I have in Jesus. Because then it isn't me. I mean, normally, the, the real Brad is the kind of guy, if you'd known me 30 years ago, I would have never done that. I'm, I'm all out to win, and I'm going to win at any cost. But I don't know. I, I, I follow Jesus, and he's just kind of changed my life, and I just kind of let Jesus dictate my life, and I try to do what he did, and, and, and I just feel like he informs me and helps me. And it's as simple as that, in, informing them. We have a responsibility to share this hope that we've been given. Maybe today you're here and you're uncertain of your hope. You just, you, you need that, that confidence today. Maybe you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus, or maybe you've been in church your whole life, and you're like, I still, I've been so uncertain about my, my walk with Jesus. And we're going to pray here in just a moment. And what I want you to know is, today, you can have confidence. Today can be your day that you have absolute confidence and certainty that your home is in heaven, your healing is in heaven, and your hope is in heaven.